Have you ever had something work out smoothly? Maybe it was a project you're working on, and just everything worked out smoothly. Uh, I kind of had one of these moments uh, where I had to uh, work on my Jeep. The starter wasn't always starting. Um, and this is something that's been going on for a couple years. And um, I, I really lucked out because there were some moments there where my wife would have the Jeep and, and the kids, but not me. And if it didn't start, I'd, I'd be in big trouble. You know, uh, I really have to make sure that that was working. So I started taking apart the starter. And if you have any experience working on cars, Typical project, how it goes, is at least one or two abashed knuckles, and then see a little blood mixed in with oil and all that. At least one, if not two, uh, stuck bolts or broken bolts, and so now you spend twice as much time trying to get a bolt out uh, as you do actually fixing the problem. I mean, all, all these different issues that you run into, and if, if you're like me, where it's just kind of an at-home job, you don't have a shop, you don't have all the necessary tools, um, you figure, oh, I, I got a hammer and a screwdriver, I can get this out, and it takes... 20 times as long because you don't have the right tools for the job. And when I put the, uh, worked on the starter for the Jeep, it was the exact opposite. Every single bolt was easily accessible. It was almost like it was right in front of me. I could just take the bolts off and, and, and pull the starter out. And as I dig into it, uh, the short version of the story is there's a smaller part within the starter. I was able to just swap out this one part and, and then put it all back together and good to go, which is about a $12 part as opposed to over $100 for a brand new starter. And so I've got to find a place that has this. And obviously, I can't take the one car because the Jeep's all torn apart. And uh, so I, I hop online, and I make some phone calls. And I find this place locally in Fox Lake. And it was about 5 o'clock, and the place closed at 4.30. And I didn't realize that when I started dialing the number, but someone still picked up. And I said, oh, are you going to be there? Well, he'd see, he said he'd be there until about 5.30. And it was just this little uh, shop in town. And uh, so I go in there, and it's just the, the most obscure part um, that, that, you know, I've never had to buy one of these before. So the, the brushes for the starter, if you know what that is. And uh, so I take it in. I'm like, well, do you have what I need? And, and every step of the way, it just worked out. He was there late. He had the part I needed. Um, the cost, uh, I was a, a few bucks short on the cash and I had debit. He's like, well, we only take cash or check. I'm like, well, I can run to the ATM, but you're going to close. He's like, here, take it. It's, it's a $2 discount today. And so I got it $2 cheaper than I normally would. And, and I run home and I put it in and it all assembles nicely. And the best part the story is that I start the Jeep and it starts right up. I mean, every step of the way was smooth. And that, I, mean, I just came in for the next two days. I was just telling Sarah, you know, hey, my, my wife, you know, it worked out so easily. It, it just, just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen like that. You see, uh, there's usually a challenge or, or a bump in the road. And as I was thinking about that and just reminiscing and, and just the smile comes across my face, but I also stopped to think about well, I was already in the midst of a challenge. The, the Jeep wasn't working. It, w- it wouldn't always start. And, and so this moment of, of, of a smooth process was all, all of a sudden tarnished by the fact that, well, hang on, this whole thing in and of itself was a challenge. Even, even though there was a joyous process because it worked out well, it just kind of brought I me mean, this, re- this realization that we've really come to expect challenges in life, right? I mean, life is hard. There, there are challenges that we will come across, and, and there are all kinds of different shapes and sizes, and, and we can look at it from different perspectives and sometimes see how, okay, well, this is smaller, this is bigger. But the fact of the matter is all the things that we go through in life, uh, they can weigh us down. They can leave us feeling like a pint size, like we don't quite measure up. Maybe we have small hurdles to overcome in life uh, that maybe in the moment it feels like we're, we're things are just crashing down uh, and our world is falling apart. Uh, I, I began my, my ministry as a youth pastor. And I always thought I'd be a, a youth pastor for life. That was just a passion I had to, to see young people 
learning about Jesus and, and growing in those relationships. And I can't tell you how many times I, I talked to a junior high student or a senior high, a senior high student who just broke up with, with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, I mean, long term. I mean, they, 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 I think they've been dating for like two and a half weeks. And uh, it was just this, this major relationship. And their, their life was just destroyed. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to carry on. I, I mean, I, I got to go home. I got to do all these. I got to go to school tomorrow. How, what, what am I going to do? I mean, they just felt like their life was over. And, you know, they, they worked through that point, but this perspective was kind of limited in that. And, you know, again, but that was still real. It still felt that way to them, and we had to address it as such. So even small hurdles in life can still uh, have heavy consequence. Maybe you have continual setbacks in an extracurricular project or hobby, something that really doesn't matter in the sense of uh, continuing on in your days in life. A project you could step away from and never address again, and, and you, you know, it wouldn't necessarily affect your life all that much. And yet it can cause so much strife and frustration when just something doesn't go right. So again, from a perspective standpoint, you could say, oh, it's little, it's not a big deal, but it still has so much weight and power to bring about challenge in our life and there's lengthy hurdles that just seem to be never ending they just continually come up and and last and they don't ever seem to end Uh, i think some of the things like this is our, our physical injury we go through the repair process if we have to go to the doctor or have some kind of surgery or there's a healing process. I'm constantly amazed at what modern medicine has accomplished with replacing joints and body parts and all that kind of stuff. But you also see that the rehab process, even after there's the repair, there's this ongoing reworking of the joint or whatever it is that got replaced. And there's a long road of pain and challenge. Maybe you have some financial issues that you've gone through. Uh, whether you're trying to overcome some, some debt in your life, or maybe you're trying to make sure you have enough planned in your retirement, or, or, or you wish you could plan for retirement, but you feel like you've got to take care of the debt piece first, or maybe there's just some financial goals that, you're, that you want to accomplish, but joblessness has, has, has sprung up, and it's, something, it's been a long road to try to find a new job. There can just be some lengthy, long-running challenges that we face. Maybe a season of schooling is, is in your life right now. Uh, or maybe a, a spouse or a loved one uh, is going through something like that. And that feels like a major challenge because there's an increase on your time or as far as not only the time to go to the classes and connect with teachers and, and, and uh, fellow students, but also uh, the time to do the work and all the extra reading that, that needs to fit into an already full schedule. So even some of the things that we uh, want to improve ourselves on, it takes time and that kind of, lends itself to its own challenge and struggles. I think we can all relate to the lengthy hurdle of relational pain where we've been hurt by someone either, either through dis, uh, distrust where we've been lied to or uh, some sort of unfaithfulness, whether in a marriage or friendship, uh, a sibling rivalry, um, or even some kind of substance abuse that just strains a relationship. Those aren't, those aren't challenges or, or struggles that just come and go, but there's a long road uh, of just consequences for actions that, that just lead to this challenging road. I think there's even some challenges that just knock us down and just knock us off the track altogether, and we're not even sure uh, which way is up. Then we get that unexpected phone call about an uh, untimely death. I, I had a moment like this in my life uh, um, I observed something like this. We were on vacation down at my dad's in Georgia, and um, uh, it's kind of a 
side note, he lives on a boat. That's his, he lives on a boat. That's his home. And uh, so we're down the docks, and we're on a, a friend's boat up on top, and, and you know, just kind of hanging out and enjoying each other's company, just have a good time of fellowship and friendship. And, and uh, one of the couples had gone uh, inside and um, kind of called it a night, you know, no more than five, ten minutes ago. And uh, evidently they got a phone call, and all of a sudden, I mean, the, the wife just comes out of the house absolutely hysterical. Uh, there had been a, a, an accident in their home, and um, one of their sons had, had killed himself accidentally. And, and just her, the whole world, the whole mood, the whole moment just stopped. And, and just there was a change, and, and all of a sudden, we, we, you know, how can we walk with this family? How can we care for them? And, and so I think we all have some story like this, either in our own life or we've witnessed in some way. We're just, it's been a, a moment where all of a sudden, you know, everything stops and everything changes. And there's a long road of trials and challenges ahead. Maybe you've experienced some kind of attack from an enemy uh, uh, to you personally, to your family, uh, to, to our nation, uh, to a group that you care about. Those can just be things that knock us down. A lot of times I, I see uh, people who are uninterested in God or say, I don't, I don't believe God exists. A lot of times that, that, that comes from uh, some trauma that they went through, a moment like this where they're just knocked down. And like, oh, I, I can't believe that God would exist uh, if he would allow this to happen. There's all kinds of trials, all kinds of challenges, again, from small to large, but they all leave us feeling small and insignificant at times. Like, how can I overcome this? And now that I've kind of got us to a point of Debbie Downer, I apologize for that, but I, I really want us to feel the weight of the giants in our life sometimes, those, who would, those things that would stand against us and, and would be a challenge in our way because I think when we, when we acknowledge the size and the, and the ability of those things to sidetrack us or, or to do damage to us, it also gives more glory to God when we acknowledge that God is larger than that, that God is able to overcome that, that that, that, that is, is something he can take us right through. I think so many times we just wish that God would just remove those giants from our life. But as we see in the story of David and Goliath, it's not a removal of Goliath, but it's moving God's people through a Goliath, through a giant. And if you're joining us for the first time this week, we're in week three of a, a pint-sized David and Goliath series. It's been a, a great journey together. Um, and even here at Meadowland, we believe that life is a journey, and, and no one should have to walk that journey alone. And so as we acknowledge the challenges that, that do come, we can look at James chapter 1, uh, just right off the bat, talks about, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face, when you face trials of many kinds. It's not if, but a when. It, it's going to come. If anyone has ever told you about Jesus and said, hey, accept Jesus into your life and your life's going to be smooth sailing from that point on, on, they were either misunderstood the gospel or they were lying to you because it's actually a, a, an affirmation that, yes, trials will come, challenges will come. If anything, there's an increase of that because now you've taken a stand and said, I, I believe in Jesus to be true and, and I'm following him. But there is life in Jesus. There's eternal life. And, and there's, there's uh, life in this world as well. There's hope. There's peace. There is joy found in following him. And so as we walk this journey, we desire to walk it together. Um, we're going to be looking here again at the story of David and Goliath. And I've, I know it's been a little bit of a tease. We haven't gotten to the actual event, the main event, but today is the day. We're getting to the main event. But let's kind of recap where we've been a little bit. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up the First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. It will be on the screen as well as we work through it, but uh, we, we always encourage you to get God's Word in front of you. If you want to turn on a smartphone or a tablet and, and Read a, a, a Bible app, that's fine as well. There's Wi-Fi in the building just for that purpose. 
So as we kind of recap where we are, let's kind of talk about some of the context, some of the, the, the setting. And so the setting of our place is actually that the picture you see on the screen in front of you, that is the, the Valley of Elam, and that is, is found in the land of Judah. Judah is basically one of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so one portion of, of uh, the, uh, the tribe, the nation of Israel, is where basically the Philistines have come, and they stand opposed to the, the Israelite army, and they're on either side of this valley. And so this is the setting, the valley of Allah. What's the challenge? What's the challenge? So the Philistines are on the one side, right? Israelites on the other side, and all of a sudden, Goliath of Gath comes out, and he gives this challenge of a single combatant. So basically, he says, hey, I'm, I'm a champion of the Philistines, and you send me your champion, and, and we'll duke it out man to man, and battle to the death, and whoever wins, whoever survives, their, their entire side wins, and the other side will then, you know, do whatever we say. You know, if, you know whether we, you keep your life or not, whether you uh, keep your things or not, or you just go home with your tail between your legs. Uh, one battle right here will end it all. And so we come to the response. We talked about uh, what does the nation of Israel do, and in week one we really looked at how we can connect into the story of Israel as the people of God in the story, and us as the people of God in our context, in our culture. How, how can we connect with them? And we see their response was 40 days of nothing. 40 days of nothing. I mean, they, they just basically have to come out morning and night, twice a day, would taunt them and say, send me a champion, and they did nothing. Saul was their king, and, and he put a, a bounty out saying, hey, or a, a reward, if anyone goes out and takes them out, here's some, some things you can have. You can have my, my daughter's hand in marriage. It also brings you into the line of, of the, the royal family. Uh, your, your family will never pay taxes, I mean, and, and you'll be wealthy. So here's some, some incentives, and still no one did anything. And so we talked about week one, how in John chapter 4, 4, we, or sorry, 1 John 4, 4, we see that uh, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And, and then all of Israel should have realized and remembered the strength of God. And that should have been a motivation for them to stand up against Goliath. All right, so then we have the contender steps onto the scene, right? So we have the contender. Uh, at this point, David hasn't been a part of the picture. Basically, it's been army against army with, with Goliath in the middle, the Valley of Elah. And all of a sudden, David, the youngest of his brothers, uh, comes to the battlefield. He's actually an errand boy for his dad. His dad says, hey, bring some supplies to your brothers, bring some supplies to their commander, and then bring back word for me of what's going on. And, and he kind of drops all the supplies and, and, and runs to the front lines and kind of hears this Philistine defying his God. He's like, What's up with this guy? What's, what's he doing? And all of a sudden we have a contender and he goes to King Saul and he says, I will take on this giant. I've killed lions. I've killed bears. Again, notice the plural aspect. Now I've killed a lion and a bear, but hey, when, when lions and bears come and go against my, my flocks, I'm a shepherd, I've killed them. I have experience with that. And this Goliath is no different than them. He's just an animal who's trying to attack my flock. And he says, I'll take them on. So we have the contender, David, shows up. And then we have a confirmation that David will be the one. Saul, the king, says, go, and the Lord be with you. And that kind of brings us to where we are. Because last we talked about how David was faithful. He had a strength of heart. He trusted in God. And we see, uh, we looked at 1 Samuel 16 a little bit as well, and kind of David's story uh, of his heart and his trust towards God and how we can uh, follow in that example. Uh, but we're going to kind of pick up here 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is going to bring us to the confrontation, the main event, the, the battle between David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 38. 
Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. This little chunk right here is significant for a couple different reasons. The first one is this really foreshadows a transition that's about to happen in the nation of Israel. I mean, this whole time in the history of Israel, Israel would make a great movie. It's kind of already written out for you. I mean, here's one of those foreshadowing things. You can say, I think something's going on with him. Something, this is, there's something bigger happening here, and there really is. And God has already said, I rejected Saul. He's no longer going to be the king of Israel, and there's a transition coming, and and uh, David has been anointed as the new king. This hasn't gone fully public yet. There's still some things that need to transpire. But here you have the king who should be leading his army, the army of the Almighty God, uh, should be leading them out against this Philistine who is defying their God and, and going to victory. But instead he's sitting back and he's saying, hey, whoever wants to go do you know, what I should be leading us in, you know, here, here's some rewards. Here's some things you could have. And all of a sudden, David, this little shepherd boy, steps up and, and saw, like, all right, you can go and here, take my armor. And he, in essence, places uh, uh, these the signs of royalty upon David. Go, go in my place. And uh, so it, it, was, um, it just didn't work out for David. He said, I've not tested these. I've not worked with this before. And he puts them off. And, and that is also foreshadowing how David will reject Saul's ways. And so Saul's way, ways were, if I kind of give you a real quick snapshot, the people of God didn't have a king. All their, their neighbors and all these foreign lands had kings. They said, God, we want a king. He said, no, you don't. I'm your God. He said, no, we, we want a king. Everyone else has a king. We want a king. No, you don't. He's going to tax you. He's going to send your, your sons off to war, all that. You don't want a king. We want a king. And so finally God says, fine, I'll, you know, I'll give you a king. But I warned you. And so that's when you get Saul. And Saul takes after the king kings of, of some of these other foreign neighboring towns in the sense of he kind of establishes this, this royalty and so he would have you know the, the, the best armor and this the suit of, of, of uh, protection be above the rest. And so if David were to go out with these, it'd be clear, okay, this is the one coming on behalf of the king. And he pushes that off, and David follows that of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his forefathers. And so uh, David really takes this approach in his leadership as we, if we continue in the story of a shepherd. And see, what we can see in this is that uh, their actions reveal the heart of the man. Their actions really reveal the heart of the man. And that, that's true for us today as well. If you want to know where your heart is at, if you want to know where someone else's heart is at, we, we can look at our actions, the things that we do and the things that we don't do. So this is significant because it foreshadows what's to come. It also makes this point here that it's not primarily the tools that lead to victory. It's not the tools that we have necessarily that will ultimately lead to the victory. Answering the challenge to a fight, uh, you know, but he's unable to use the sword and the, 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 the armor of the king. And David later says, I, I come in the name of the Lord. So his, his first strength, his, uh, what is leading him in this is the name of the Lord. I, I know where my real strength is. It's not in a sword. It's not in armor. I can go out there just with my shepherd stuff because I'm coming in the name of the Lord. The Lord has already gone before me. So our strength is not first and foremost in our tools. Another little point I think we can see in here in this part of the story is when we face trials, Sometimes I think we can be quick to jump to someone else's methods. And while they, they could be proven methods, 
Many battles have been won with the sword. So you could say, is it really wrong to, to want to go to battle with that sword and with armor on? Well, the method may be proven, but it's not the first step. It's not the first step. We need to begin by turning our focus to God and to what he's leading us in and to what he is doing in this, situ- in this situation. It's kind of like if you see someone using a corded drill. So it's plugged in. That You see someone using this drill, and you're watching how they're using it, and you want to learn from that. And all of a sudden you say, okay, I, I-, I need to do a-, a similar project, and so I'm going to grab their corded drill. And so you take this corded drill and you go over to try and do your project and you just can't get it to work. No matter what you do, you're doing the exact same technique, everything they were doing, you're doing, and just nothing's working. Well, it's because you never plugged it in. You never plugged it in. Because you just took the method, but you didn't take the heart behind it. So sometimes I think we see people who are overcoming are going through some giants in their life. Like, hey, here's the things that they did. I just need to do those too and, and, and I can have the same result. A lot of times that first step of the thing of here's what they did, not in every case, but some is they go to God first. Say, God, what are you doing in this situation? Where are you leading me? And we see a lot of times that God also uses the skills that he's already given us, as we're going to see in, in David's story. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, this would be the, the shepherd's staff, <coughs> and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So David goes out to face Goliath. And he just had the weapons that he was familiar with. Uh, he had the shepherd's staff, and he had a sling, and he picks up five rocks. Um, and these would have been roughly, they would have been smooth rocks down by like a, a river basin, um, roughly about the size of a tennis ball. It would be kind of the, the size of rocks that a, a slinger would have picked up. And, and David, as someone who was proficient with the sling, he would have known that. So, okay, would have had about five rocks, uh, roughly about that size. And this is the same way he would go and approach a lion or a bear. If, if he was wa- uh, leading his flock to water, and all of a sudden a, a bear came after one of them and took one of his sheep and, and went off with it, you've you got to imagine he would do the same process of, of picking up some, some stones that would be smooth and, and large enough to take down this bear, and he would go after them, sling in hand. Um, the sling would have been a strip of leather with a little pouch in the middle. A lot of times, they would actually kind of semi-permanently affix the one end to their hand, and they would go down and back up, and they'd hold on to the loose end, put the, the, whatever projectile they're trying to sling in the, the pouch, and then they, they'd whip it over their head or off the side, and you just let go of the one, and then the sling stays attached, and it releases the projectile. And so David's grabbing his weapons, what, what, what he knows. This would be the same as if he's approaching a lion or a bear. See, David's view of Goliath is he sees him as an animal who defies the Lord, who stands against the people of God. Israel views Goliath as this giant who's paralyzing them. See, how how we view our giants is significant. It's important to acknowledge this. How do you view the giants, the challenges that you're facing? Even the ones that, that have heavy consequences. Even the ones where death is an option. Those moments where it just stops you in your tracks. How do we view those? David saw Goliath for what he was. A Philistine who was cursing God, who God would deliver into his hands, an, an animal of sorts. Whereas the rest of Israel saw him as, oh, we can't go down there. No, he's, he's, he's too big and too tough. Let's keep going here in verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. 
And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath didn't expect this. He didn't expect this youthful young boy to come down. In one sense, you've got to wonder, is he kind of insulted? I'm a champion. Send me your champion. Send me this boy. This is going to look easy. All right, well, let's start the smack talk. All right, boy, you come at me with sticks. What he's saying basically is he sees the shepherd stuff. Like, I use that to beat my dogs off. And, and that's how you, you, am I a dog to you? I don't, but that's what he's making that example. I don't have a dog. Um, even a stick, that's what you come at, at me with? And then he continues to curse him. The smack talk continues. See, Goliath's words, actually, interestingly enough, probably had some adverse effects. That they probably served to encourage David that much more in what he set out to do. And, and here's why. If we look at the story of David, if we look at his life and, and who he was, even from a young age, he was a student of the Torah. That'd be uh, the holy book that he would have with the first five books of the Old Testament. And that would continue on uh, in his life. And so he'd be familiar with the word of God. He'd be familiar with uh, what God has already said. And so here Goliath is cursing God. Well, well we can believe that, that David <coughs> will be familiar with Genesis chapter 12, where God is saying to Abraham, and this would apply to his people as well, whoever you bless, I will bless, and whoever you curse, I will curse. And so Goliath has just cursed David, and, and hey, you just called down a curse on yourself. I mean, I was pretty sure this was already in the bag, that God was going to deliver you into my hand, but not, you're just making it worse. You're just calling down curses on yourself. And you say that my body will be fed to the birds? Well, he would have remembered from, from the, the history of Israel, from the things that God had already spoken into his people and into their history, that that was actually uh, what would happen for those who are the enemies of God. That, that when God would lead his people in a victorious battle, that, that those who are enemies of God, who stood opposed to God, that their bodies would be left out like that. And so you're saying, I'm going to be fed to the birds? That, really? You don't, you're the one standing opposed to God. And if I know my, my Torah, I know what you got coming here, Goliath. And so it's very possible this will just encourage David in what he'd already set out to do. Because see, here's the point here. When we're familiar with God's word, when we're familiar with God's word, we are encouraged and comforted by it. Because we know and witness the promises and heart of God in action. We're familiar with God's word. We're encouraged and comforted by it because we both know and witness the promises and the heart of God in action. And so we can see what God has already said. We can see what God has already done. And that should encourage us. That should comfort us when we're facing challenges that seem to be a giant that's immovable. We're the only outcome if we went up against it would be death oh yeah i I know the word of god i I know his his history i know what he's done and so for us here today let that be an encouragement for us to continue to get to know god's word when we hear uh, any message from myself or anyone else who'd preach from this stage on a sunday morning don't just take our word for it see it in god's word dig into it continue to read before and after it and learn more about it we can only cover so much uh, on a sunday morning there's still more meat on the bone per se i'd encourage you to take that home and chew on that 
and on that in the weeks ahead. We're familiar with God's word. We're encouraged and comforted by it. because we, uh, we both know and witness the promises and the heart of God. And so I think this smack talk that Goliath throws down would have just uh, encouraged David all that much more in what he set out to do. Let's see what happens. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. You got these three blades that you come at me with, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So David pulls one of these things we see in action movies, where the hero standing there before a formidable opponent and he says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this guy out. I'm going to take you out with that guy's thumb. And I'm going to take this guy out with, with, with uh, you know, pluck a thing of my hair. And then I'll take you out with that. And, and then I'll, I'll win. And David's forecast. He's like, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. And, and then you said my body would, would be laid out for the birds and the, and the beasts. You know what? Your entire army's bodies will be laid out. He trumps them. He, he steps it up one more. Oh, you want to see some smack talk? You don't know my God. You don't know what he's done. This is even smack talk. This this is truth talk. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. And we're going to take out your army. David just kind of comes back with this. I love verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand like he's receiving a package. Because David already knows this is God's. God's got his hands on this. God's going to give you over to me. The same way I receive a package. He will deliver you into my hands. But I love this. Because he doesn't claim the glory for himself. He gives God the glory. He says, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. All will know there's a God in Israel. He's not saying, hey, I've already had this little ceremony where, where, where uh, you know, Samuel came and said, hey, you're the next king. And so, hey, this is going to be my, my, my you know, step into the stardom, into the spotlight. He's going to say, hey, David is awesome. Look at how great I am. Now, some of that happens, but that wasn't David's motivation. That wasn't his heart. He says, hey, no, no, look how awesome God is. Look what God's going to do. He was encouraged by it. I'm not sure if Goliath was, but he, he was saying, hey, look what God's going to do. So he heard the threats of his giants. They didn't stop him. So what, what are the threats of the challenges that we face? Well, what's the worst that could happen when we think about the things that we're facing in life? And, and for some of us, we may be thinking, and God may be already stirring in our heart and say, you know what? That's right. Those really aren't that bad. But there's some of these things where if that's where we're landing, maybe we didn't really see what our challenge was clearly enough yet because the consequences might be worse than we're thinking if, if we're at that point. Because what were the consequences? What could have happened to David? He could have died. He was going against a, a grown man who was an expert in battle, who had three blades on him of varying lengths and, and, and skills, was fully armored. But he knew who his God was. So these threats, no matter how large, no matter how big the challenge, no matter what the cost, he knew that his God was sovereign. He knew that the battle is the Lord's. And he saves in ways that you weren't expecting. He doesn't need the sword or the spear to save. I absolutely love this. There's so much foreshadowing of what God is doing. There's so much 
so many different points we can see in this story to say, this is pointing to Jesus. This is pointing to what God is going to do. When, when Jesus came and, and he began to reveal himself to the people as the Messiah, um, at that point in time in history, uh, Israel was under Roman rule. Uh, they, they weren't free to go about and do whatever they wanted to do. They, they were uh, under the, the rule of the Romans. And so when all of a sudden Jesus uh, comes into this, onto the scene and says, I'm, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you've been waiting for, there were many of his disciples, many uh, who had heard about him and seen him, who said, hey, he's coming to kick some Roman butt. They were expecting this military, mil, militarized Savior, someone who would just wipe out the Romans. But he didn't save in the way that we were expecting he saved us from our sin. He saved us from the ways that we've gone against the word of God and, and what that results in by us going against the word of God is separation from God. And so Jesus lays down his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that we place our faith in him and trust in him as Lord and Savior that we're forgiven, that we're washed clean, that we're saved from death. We're saved from the consequence of our sin. God saves in ways that you wouldn't expect. So even when Jesus was here, people wanted him to save them from the Romans. But he saved them from much greater need. And so maybe that's what we need to hear this morning. Maybe we've got some major giants facing us down. What we need to hear this morning is that God can save us from our sin. That no matter what happens in this life, there is an afterlife. There is a, a life in heaven with God and with the people of God. There is still joy and hope and peace despite how these worldly challenges end up. It's God is saved in a different way. It's now the battle begins. They're both facing each other. They both kind of put out some smack talk. David forecasted, you know, kind of Babe Ruth points out in the left field. Verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and, and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. That's it. That's it. Well, there's going to be more to the battle, Steve. You've been kind of priming this for the past two weeks. That's it. They have words. David starts running towards Goliath. Pulls out one of those rocks, gets it in a sling, fires it, right in the forehead. Goliath falls down dead. I want to take us on a little tangent here. Um, I honestly believe this story is true. I also believe it's believable. I think sometimes uh, Christian and non-alike People can say, oh, I think the Bible's just some stories I put together to help us um, understand God, but these things didn't really happen. Some of them are pretty wild, and how can those things really have happened? Maybe you feel that way about David and Goliath. But the more we, we, we investigate and look into the history, look into uh, uh, the science behind what is, is being said uh, to have been done here, we see this is actually a very believable scenario. The more we understand what's going on here, the more we'll see that David brought a pistol to a knife fight. I mean, that, that's really what's going on. Which is really interesting that the second Goliath, if he even had a moment to realize that David was what we refer to as a slinger, that should have been a quick change of the ties. All of a sudden realize, oh, I, I, I grossly underestimated what, what's going on here. 
You could say, okay, but Goliath had all this armor on. How could one blow take him out? They've done studies with, with, with the rock size, with, with the potential distances where they could be. So they're obviously in earshot because they had a conversation. Then David starts running towards Goliath. And so it's, it's easy to believe that probably in closer quarters, uh, probably even you know, two corners within this room would be close enough. Uh, they're probably at that point. And they've done studies with the potential rock size you'd find in the, the Valley of Allah in, in that time and, and with the slinger's ability, what they could do. And they've seen whether Goliath had his helmet down, his helmet up, or his helmet off, if it hit in a space where it didn't quite cover or hit square in the helmet, regardless of what the helmet situation was, this stone would easily pack the force needed to lodge itself in his skull. As you do the science, you understand that it would have the ability to, to, um, to deliver that mortal blow. I encourage you to dig into this on your own and, and, and Google some of this stuff and, and pull up some, some commentaries and read some of the experts. Actually, I just read through a book called David and Goliath um, by Blackaby. And it, it's a, um, actually, I, uh, what's, you know, what's, what's the author's name? Pardon? I'll get it for you. I, I just butchered it. Goldblum. Sorry about that. Um, but in the opening chapters, he, he walks through the, the mechanics and the science of it. And what, what experts today say, this is most likely what happened and how it happened and how it could have happened. In that point in time, there would have been three kinds of um, soldiers on, on the field. You would have had your infantry, your hand-to-hand combat, your cavalry, those who would be uh, on horseback. And you'd have your projectile, uh, which would be your, your archers and your slingers. And the slingers were meant to be feared, and they should have been. They were a regular part of history. This was, we also see other battles in Israel's history where, where, where slingers uh, played a role in this. This was such a common thing that the Romans had actually developed uh, special tongs for the removal of stones from a victim's body to be able to pull it out because they would embed themselves. There's a modern record of 1981. Larry Bray holds the record so far in modern times for 437 meters being the distance that he could sling a stone. That's roughly 478 yards. And to speak in a language of the Midwest, that's about five football fields. Just shy that they're able to fire this thing. Obviously, at that distance, accuracy wanes a little bit. But we're not talking about five football fields. We're talking about 20 yards probably if not less. And so could this have happened? Is the science there? Yeah. And part of the reason I'm going on this tangent here is I think there's a conversation that's going on in our culture that says science and religion are opposed to each other. But that's not true. I see time and time again how science supports Scripture. And that makes sense to me because who, who's the one who set that all up? Who's the one that established gravity to fall at 9.8 meters per second squared? Who is the one that established pi to be 3.14 and some other numbers in there? God established those constants. He set this world in place. He spoke it into being. And so does it surprise me that he uses his own natural, how he set up this world to work? This is just one story. We could go on all kinds of other ones. That's, that's another series, another day. But if you're at a point of saying, no, I think science and the Bible are against each other, dig in more. Dig in more. Really test that theory because every bit I've done looking into this kind of stuff, I see how science would support this. Yes, there's a supernatural aspect to it. But it doesn't go against the natural time and time again. All right, let's pick up back here and finish out our story. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. 
Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw the champion was dead, they fled. Now, now you catch something interesting there? Verse 50, what does he do? He's got a sling and a stone, strikes him and he kills him. Verse 51, what does he do? Goes and grabs his sword, cuts off his head and kills him. So did David kill him twice? It was like a momentary resurrection just so David could kill him again. I mean, I'm going to deliver him to you twice. Is that what God did? When you come across things like this in Scripture, again, we've got to dig into this. I think so many times people come across things like this that make you say, what? I don't get this. Well, it must not be true. It must, it must be wrong. And we, we, we don't pick up our Bibles again. We don't, we don't pursue who God is. Our faith ends up weakened. When honestly, if we'd lean into it, if we would explore, I believe we'd come up stronger on the other end. And as we begin to look at the original context and the original language this would have been written in, the Hebrew that it would have been written in, we see that the verb here for killed is actually in two different conjugations. It just, so it's two different, you know, so like you have run, ran, uh, running, you know, different conjugations of the verb. There's two different ones. And as we look at how they're used elsewhere in Scripture, we see there's some nuances. That the first time it's used in verse 50, there's this nuance of dealt a mortal blow, killed. And then in 51, we see other times in Scripture where that certain conjugation of the verb killed is found, there's this nuance of finished him off even after a mortal blow. And so a lot of these things were like, wait, what? Part of it is just that challenge of translating from one language to another. If you come across these things and you're not sure where to go, one of the next steps you should go, maybe try another translation where they worded it slightly differently. If you don't have other translations at home, go to BibleGateway.com, and you can do two translations side by side. If we look at the NIV, the New International Version of 1 Samuel 17, starting the second half of 50, going into the first half of 51, it says this, Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And so after a mortal blow has been dealt, he finished him off. And so when you come across these things that are like, wait a minute, hey, this doesn't seem to make sense. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. And so the Philistines fleeing, the men of Israel and Judah, verse 52, they rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. If you remember, Gath is, is uh, Goliath's hometown. So basically they brought the battle to, to his doorstep and they pursued them. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim and as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. He put his armor in his tent. What David said would happen. God delivered Goliath into his hand. The Philistine army, their bodies were left for the, the birds and the beasts of the, the field. And all will know that there is a God in Israel because of what he did there. As we journey with giants, I want to close up with this. A uh, uh, few points real quick I want to look at. As we're acknowledging that, yes, there's challenges in life. Yes, there are things that leave us feeling like a pint size, like, like an underdog. Like, like, like we're just how can we overcome these things in our lives? When we journey with giants, because there are giants on the road of life. We need to remember, first of all, that a courageous faith is a contagious faith. A courageous faith is a contagious faith. 
Basically, David went out in faith, and God delivered Goliath into his hand. And then what happens? The entire army wakes up. They stop following Saul's, Saul's example of, well, I wonder if God will do something for us. Let's just wait and do nothing. To David's example of, he's trusting in the Lord. He's, he's, he's living, his faith is, is living and active, and it's moving him to go and stand against the, this Goliath who defied our God. And he won. The Lord delivered Goliath into his hand. Hey, let's go too. And so a courageous faith is a contagious faith. And so we need to ask this question of ourselves. Of who are we journeying, journeying? Who are we traveling with in life? Who are we going with? Are we with other people? Are we connecting in with other believers who are pursuing God? And, and our faith can encourage one another and be contagious. Let's join together as a church in reaching out to, to Johnsburg, to Spring Grove, to McHenry, to McHenry County, to Fox Lake, to insert your home community here. And I apologize if I missed it, uh, but there's a lot of them in the area that the people who come to this church. Let's reach out together. Let our faith just be contagious. Courageous faith is a contagious faith. When, we focus, when our focus is on the size of the giant, we forget the size of our God. When we focus on the size of the giant, we forget the size of our God. And we're usually wrong, too, about the true strength of our giant. Uh, experts actually believe that um, Goliath, the, kind of the, 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 the common, the, the predominant the, uh, understanding is that Goliath would have suffered from something that we call acromegaly, uh, which is basically a benign tumor on the pituitary that, that causes uh, excessive uh, hormone, uh, growth hormone. To, to be pumped out, and which would cause the large size. But where the tumor would be would also cause a sight issues, vision issues. And many people believe Goliath had, had blurry vision. And there's actually some, some signs that in the text, he had a shield bearer. What champion needs someone to carry his shield for him? Well, they believe it was actually kind of a, a ploy to mask the fact that his shield bearer was also his guide. He probably couldn't see far distances. And so he had someone who would lead him down every morning to the valley floor. He says, come to me. When, when David and him are, are, are shouting distance, he kind of sees something in the distance, but he says, come to me so that we, we may do battle. He, he needs something close, hand-to-hand, not only because that's his strength, but so he could see and, and, and catch where David was. He also says, you've come to me with sticks. Well, from the text, we only know he had the one stick, the shepherd's staff. And so did, did he have blurry vision? What, was he seeing multiple sticks? Experts have, have dug into this, and, and all, all the signs are there. They believe he had this thing, acromegaly, which would actually be his downfall. What led to his size and his strength would actually be something that would lead to his downfall, would be his weakness. And so when we focus on our giants, we get it wrong anyway. We think they're bigger than they are. But like I started with at the beginning, all we have to do is look at how big our God is and what he's already done. God will use our God-given skills. God will use our God-given skills. How menial this shepherding may have seemed at times in David's life, yet it prepared him for the life that was ahead. The time that he spent as a shepherd, he was able to pour into a couple different things. Uh, you got to imagine he spent time out in the fields uh, reading uh, the Torah. That's probably one of the times he became really familiar with the Word of God. That's probably where he honed in on his skill to play the harp many nights while he was uh, just keeping watch over his flock to be able to practice on the harp and the lyre. This is probably where he, we know it's where he honed his ability with the slingshot as he protected his flock. So God will use our God-given skills. 
but we still need to do this work of honing them. We still, we, we still have a hand in this. I love that. that. God works in and through us. It's not just a, hey, watch, look what I can do. But hey, look what I want to do in you. Look what I want to do through you. To the disciple of Jesus here this morning, what skills do you have? How has God equipped you? And how can you use those to glorify God? I bet you have things you've never thought about you could, uh, you could use in a way to glorify God. Maybe you're a marksman. David was with the sling. How could, how could I use that to glorify God? I don't know. But let's have that conversation. What skills has God given you and how can you use that to bring glory to his name? To those this morning who don't know Jesus or aren't following after him, I just want you to know that there are some good things I'm sure you're doing in your life that God will be pleased with. I say it this way to those who are trying to share their faith with people who don't know Jesus. Is no, one's got it, no one's got it all wrong. You know, there's something you can find in someone's life and say, you know what, here's something you're doing. Maybe you're doing some stuff here that, that you know, that, yes, God wouldn't want you to do. But hey, the way you care for your family, that's awesome. That's bringing God glory. And we can use that as an inroad into sharing our faith with people. And we can see those things, the skills and the abilities that God's already given us and how we can use them to bring glory to his name. I want to close with this. The shepherd who would be king, David, points us to our shepherd king. He points us to Jesus. I encourage you to, as you're reading through your Bible, look for Jesus in each story. What, what does this story tell me about who Jesus is? We're going to close with this, Psalm 23. This is a, a, a psalm that David wrote. It's called the Shepherd's Psalm. And you, you'll see why. I'm just going to read this for you. Just let these words, just hear, hear God's word spoken over you. And then we'll close. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful promise. Let's pray. Father God, we do want to dwell in your house forever. We do want goodness to follow in all the days of our lives. Father, there are times where we feel like we're in the valley of death and we feel the shadow of the valley of death upon us where a giant stands opposed from us, a challenge that, that, that feels huge and leaves us feeling so small. Father, this morning we stand on the truth that you are sovereign, that you are God above all. And the victory is, is yours to deliver. And the glory is yours to receive. And so, Father, help us to, as we head out this week to point people to you by saying, look what God has done in our lives. To point people to you by, by overcoming our giants, overcoming our challenges, by trusting in you as David trusted in you, by relying on your word, being comforted by it, being encouraged by it. And just having a, a courageous faith that encourages others to take steps forward. Father, do a work in and through us. We know you are faithful to that end. We thank you for that. In your name, amen.